This is the Coming Home Podcast with John Allen. There we go. Well, you know, I've been looking forward to this. You could say, Donnie, that I've been looking forward to this, not the podcast, because I've only been podcasting for a little over a year, but looking forward to just having a real conversation with you since I met you in 2016. Most definitely, John. I'm excited for the opportunity just to be able to share and talk about some different things we've been not only doing in the training, but what we've done, you know, in the uniform and stuff. There's a lot of a lot of areas that we both gel and both come on the same uh, sheet of music. Well, this is a real brotherhood. Um, That's right. In more ways than one. I'm going to talk about the main brotherhood. There's two main brotherhoods, and we'll get to that. That's before, right, brother. B- before we get into this, though, and I'm not saying I want to start this episode, this podcast episode out with all the formal stuff about fitness and stuff, but I just want my listeners to get in, the, in their minds what kind of a person I'm talking about here, okay? I'm, I'm just going to read up a few things about, okay. about you. And you, you, tell me, you tell me if I'm wrong. All right. You are a now retired Army major. That's correct. Uh, you've retired now after 27 years of service. Total, to- total years of service. Total service, yes. Um, you are the first ever strength and training coach in uniform for the U.S. Army. That's correct. Um, you have been instrumental in changing and modernizing the United States Army physical fitness test. Most definitely. You are instrumental in changing and modernizing also, um, well, you have designed uh, occupational performance assessment test for the Army. And that's what's used for yeah. the screening of new recruits, right? That's correct. As it goes along with the academic side. You now have a physical attribute test, too. Um, you designed uh, the Tactical Athlete Performance Center. You're the, you're the brains behind that. That's correct. I did two of them before I retired. And you rewrote the Master Fitness Trainer curriculum for the U.S. Army. That's correct. Uh, you I've have been very busy. You know, I've been very busy the last <laughs> eight years, but... Uh, I look forward to sharing some of those uh, challenges, you well, know, you know, you have to deal with when you're changing a culture that's been consistently the same for 250 plus years almost. And that is truly groundbreaking. You know, we're going to get down into the meat and potatoes, the, the de- details of the kind of work you did. You have basically modernized the, 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 the fitness standards for the United States Army. And what I think is interesting is that's bleeding over into the other armed services as well, the Air Force, the Marines, right? Most definitely. They're, they're jumping on board, and, and it's rightfully so. We, we should have done this a long time ago, um, but it's just unfortunate. We didn't have a catalyst, or we, the command didn't think they needed that tool or that advisor on their team to really allow their soldiers to truly be combat ready right and then when they started to get an eye you know maybe starting to realize themselves that some changes needed to be made well we know that the united states armed forces are real they're, they're stubborn <laughs> they, they they're not too <laughs> they're they're, stubborn and, they, and they bled off on me too because i'm probably a pretty stubborn guy <laughs> <laughs> well you know now we said this you've had 27 years of total service now, most of your years was with the U.S. Army, correct? But you all, you, you started in the U.S. Marines. That is that is correct. I started out as a devil dog, and, uh, you know, uh, it, it definitely set the tone for me. It, it gave me a high standard, a high dis- discipline. It gave me a spree to court. It gave me a good understanding of the history, you know, of what the Marines been through, 
uh, and they really make you earn that title. I, I can tell you, you know, I, I went through a lot of schools yeah. over my time, you know, and every school I went to, the biggest thing I said was I went through the hardest school first. Yeah. So all these other schools to me was not near as challenging. You know, and if there's one thing about you that I'm disappointed in is that your your majority of your service was not with the U.S. Marines. Shame on you, Donnie. Shame I, on you. You're right about that. You're right about that. <laughs> it's just unfortunate. You know, when I finished my school, I actually was talking to a Marine recruiter to try to go in as an officer. Oh, really? I was over I was over the age. Okay. Because I was over 27. This is prior to 9-11. Right, they right. Said, you can come back in and list it and resubmit your packet. I said, I'm not going that route. You know, I said, I still owe money. The GI Bill didn't cover all my schooling. Uh, and then when I went and walked in and talked to the Army, they essentially said, sign right here. We'll put you in OCS tomorrow. You really? know, the next time okay. we we'll get you there, and you'll have an opportunity. Funny thing is, John, you roll the dice forward till 2002. Take a guess who gives me a phone call. Oh, come on now. Did they? Three Corps. Yeah. Wanted to go in if I wanted to come back in and be an officer. I said, I'm going to be captain now in the Army. I, I, I can't go back and start again now. Man, you know? timing. Timing is everything, man. No, I, I have to, I have to tease you a little bit about that. Of course, you you know, everybody makes the decisions that are best for them. And, and, and you know, there's also t plenty of honor in the United States Army. But, you know, the Most brotherhood, definitely. I said, we have two sides of our brotherhood. The one brotherhood is the United States Marines. As my listeners know, and as you know, I was also enlisted in the U.S. That's Marines. Right. And I tell you that that brotherhood, you know, I, a lot of people that don't understand it, they'll just kind of roll their eyes and think, oh, what's wrong with these people? But mm -hmm. that brotherhood and let's say sisterhood as well in the United States Marines is real and it's lifelong. And the lessons we learn, you know, forget about being deployed or out in the field. It's it's it starts at boot camp. That's, That's where right. that brotherhood starts. That's where the discipline starts. That's where you I, I tell people I was 21 when I went in and yeah. I didn't grow up until I was finished with boot camp, that's when I yeah. was an adult. Yeah. I tell yeah. people that. No, that's very good. You went in a couple of years after me because I was 18. Okay. Uh, I, turned 19, I turned 19 right at the end of boot camp right. uh, before I graduated. And uh, I did. I grew up a lot. Yes. Grew up a lot. I, I really felt like I was a different person, no doubt, when I came back. Now, I was already a pretty self-disciplined guy, but not on the academic side. I was one of those kids sitting in the back row, okay. cut up, yeah. go with the flow. I changed automatically, went to the front row and, you know, started paying attention, started getting some college classes and started working towards that. And I just had yeah. a different mindset, you know, yeah. from where I was prior to that. Well, that's what it's all about is mindset. You know, I was a very, I don't want to say I was an immature 21, but I was, you know, I had quit college. I had a football scholarship, went to play football at Ohio University and ended up quitting that. Uh, trouble at home, parents were going through a divorce and stuff and, you know, my 21 year old mind thought I could make a difference and yeah, and yeah. I didn't, didn't make a difference. They ended up getting yeah. divorced anyway. Yeah, um, yeah. and I was at a point in my life where I really, I just didn't know what I wanted to do. Just didn't mm -hmm. know. I mean, I was pretty, pretty out of it and stepping into that contract with the United States Marines changed my life, changed my, I would, I wouldn't be the person I am today if it wasn't for that. Most definitely. Long story short, I tell you, I was actually talking to Air Force. Really? High school. Okay. My dad was Air Force. He spent six years in the Air Force active duty. Okay. He okay. was really pushing me to go towards that side. I mean, I, I had already taken a couple of years of electronics. Uh, I liked the technical side. Um, and I actually went to the recruiting office with the Air Force 
went down to the MEP station, and this is how God's always got a plan. I show up to the MEP station, and you know what happened? Lo and behold, John, the computers are down. I can't select my job. I've already done my medical part, okay? I'm sitting in there waiting to fill out like my jobs, and they're telling me to come back next week. Wow. Well, I'm going to tell you, I was one of those guys that when I set my mind to do something, you're in. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm ready to go. I'm not going to sit here and work at a plant no more and just, just keep going through the motion. No. So I walked right across the hall in the map station to the Marine recruiting office. Wow. And I said, I said, here's my stuff. Can I get in the Marines? And that's how it started. They essentially started going through all of it. And I, that day I signed the paperwork with the Marine Corps. And you know who was all mad? The Air Force. They was all oh. mad at me because they, they just spent about two weeks or three weeks to send me down there and get all that set up. And I come back with a, a Marine sticker instead of a, you know, aim high, you know. Hey, man, if, if, you, if you're if you slow on the draw, you're going to miss out, you know. That's right. I'm ready to go. This oh. is prime time. We, you better get me right now while it's hot. It's just like a used car salesman, you know. You walk into the dealer and you're just looking around. And then all of a sudden, you're buying something. That's right. Coming over that mindset, you was like, I'm wanting to get something anyway, and that that dealer knows that. <laughs> that recruiter knew that, and that and, I, and it was the best decision I made, not only for myself that day, but when I roll the dice forward and I'm in the middle of a combat zone, you know, and I'm with the Rangers, I look back at that, you know, foundation that was established, that that set the conditions for me to look at things at a different set of lens, to have more attention to detail. And to hold people to a higher standard. Right, right. And I would imagine that your discipline, your focus, um, your way of conducting yourself, uh, because again, you you were a combat off. You know, you had you had troops under you in combat, and I would yeah. imagine that all those qualities that I just named about you bled down into you, those that were under your command, and was probably instrumental in you not having lost a man under your command in combat most definitely i mean you probably can go back and allude to your dialogue with uh rick donnett you know a shout, while shout out to rick i love that man i love his sense of humor i love his focus and he's also instrumental in, in making things happen and reason, yeah and the reason i brought his name up is because obviously he was under me in a couple different uh, organizations he was under me in a, a standard infantry company as one of my squad leaders yeah. and then he was under me at the tap c uh, and then we worked closely when he was a drill sergeant. I was able to go over and do some things uh, to help change the strength base uh, pilot that we were running in basic training to go from body weight to kettlebells. Uh, he was very instrumental with that. And the funny thing I say about that is, is we butted heads uh, oh, really? because, in certain ways because I, I was I was pretty tough. I'm not gonna lie to you. I was. I'm a great guy to most people, but when you work with me in uniform and it's talking about the mission and, and, well, we're and talking, talking about, about lives, we're talking about lives. Yeah. I, I'm a very direct guy. It's just like when I took command of that company and you can ask Rick and he would tell you, I took the whole company and lined them up and said, we're going on a run. You have to stay with me. We ran five miles day one on my first uh, takeover. I had eight people in the company. What was your what was, what was your rank at that time, Captain? I was a captain. Captain, yeah. I was a captain. I had eight people out of 150 in that unit that made the five-mile run with me, and Donette was one of them. Oh, man. Okay? Yeah. I had numerous officers. I had numerous other soldiers that didn't even make it. And they're right. supposed to be leaders, you know? Well, so. Well, I mean, you, you, you have to you have to command that respect. If you're going to command the troops, you have to command the respect. And the only way you command the respect is by standing in front. 
most of my time in the U.S. Marines was I had I had strange duty. Um, you could say I was the shadow for the battalion commander. His name was John Mackey. Uh, and at that time he was 52 years old. So he was salty. Yeah. Uh, former recon Marine. So oh, wow. ev and everywhere he went, I went. And that kind of leadership that he had for me as his driver, his shadow, his, his, his guy, as he used to call me, you're my guy, Corporal Reese. Uh, you know, that's it. That set the standard for leadership. And it sounds like you fall right in line with the kind of things that he taught me about how, if you're going to lead, you've got to lead from the front. If you're going to lead, you've got to be the best at what you're trying to teach them to be. You have mm -hmm. to be the best. If you're not, yeah. you need to reevaluate yourself as a leader. So it sounds yeah. like, and Rick told me this stuff too, that you had all that stuff in place. You, you, there was, there was no choice but to respect your command because you, you, you were in the front, you led from the front. Yeah. I definitely never asked anything of my man, of my men that I would never do. No. Uh, so you would always catch me out there, whether we were, you know, in the woods conducting a, you know, an L ambush, you know, whether we were on a range, you know, firing a Bradley, you know, it, it was just always there with the men. Uh, I was one of those guys I showed up. I didn't really know nothing about a Bradley. No. You know, and I was a commander. So first thing I did was I went to my Mike Gulf, and that's the guy that's kind of in charge of all the the big guns in the company. And I said, "Who's your best gunner?" Uh -huh. And they they named who it was. And I went and I went to the motor pool, and I went in there and I took my blouse off, and I said, "I want to know everything about this gun." I said, "I am your young private right now. Oh, you man. tell me about this gun because at the end of the day, this is one of the biggest." Uh, weapons and casualty producing items inside my formation if i don't understand its capabilities and how it is employed i am never going to be effective as a commander you you touch on something here kind of peripherally but i want i want to put a little focus on it uh the issue of hum being humble the issue of humility because it takes a certain amount of humility um for for a leader you know a captain to kind of take kind of take his his captain's captain's insignia off and humble himself in front of one of his troops and say hey I need to learn from you. Mm -hmm. Now, you and I both know, you know, me from the Marines, you from the Marines and Army, you, you, we we know that not all officers, not all leaders, not even all NCOs are willing to do that. They're not mm -hmm. willing to humble themselves. Where does that humility come from for you? Well, where it comes from me is is from my father. Uh, initially, was instilled in me as a young boy uh, when my mother and father went through a divorce when I was approximately ten or eleven years old. Uh, you too. Yeah. Uh, it, it was a really tough situation, but you know, my father essentially took the reins, and he was working two jobs, third shift and first shift. Okay, he would sleep on second shift most of the time. He would nap during that time period while we were coming home for school to kind of help keep things flowing. Um, and he was willing to sacrifice like that for over two years straight yeah. for our family. And again, as a 10 or 11 year old at the time, I thought my dad didn't love me. I thought okay. he was not there as much as he should have been. So when I go back and roll the dice forward, when I'm looking at it as a young man, I start to go, wow, my dad was special. There's not yeah. a lot of men that would have done that. You know, they would have made excuses or they would have leaned yeah. on somebody else to put the strain on them. But that is where that humility was. Uh, it started to be instilled in me between my, my granddaddy and my father. 
just with their setting example uh, and a lot of things that they did. I didn't agree with all of them as a kid. No. Uh, well, we uh, don't understand everything when we're at that age, but the lesson is learned over time as we old, as we get older and we mature. Yeah. Most definitely. So I would say that's where it was really instilled in me. And then it really grew a lot more in uh, 99. I got saved. Uh, I allowed Christ to come in my life. It allowed me to look at things from a different set of lens. Uh, and I still struggle with that every day. I'm never... I'm not perfect. I made a lot of mistakes and, and a lot of things. I mean, even go back to the tap seat, there's things that I did there that if I could go back and do it over, yeah, it was probably some areas that I was a little too strict or areas that I thought was I put too much emphasis on it. But at the end of the day, you know, I trusted the Lord and I allowed the Lord to use me as he see fit. And it just continued to humble me. The more I grew closer to him, the more I read his word, the more I had other mentors in my life that I looked upon that were sages. They were people that's, that's been around for a long time. You know, nothing's better when I get around young people to tell them to find somebody in your life that's 20 or 30 or a couple decades older that is that has a good uh, walk in their life. That is the type of people that's going to mold and shape you to be able to accept the stresses in life today because they've already been through them. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? already went through them and, and that's one of the things of me just like being a high school strength coach just here at northwestern you know me being about to turn 50 you know and they they're in their ages of 15 to 18 to just be able to walk up and put their hand on their shoulder yeah and say and say you know god loves you and yeah you missed that rep but you're gonna go back and get it on the next one see you know and, I mean? and and that's the kind you know thinking back through the years all of the the coaches and and uh, adults uh, adult males who inspired me, they all had that, you know, what, what you're saying, what you're, what you're talking about here is your willingness to give back to -hmm. those that are beneath you, those that are beneath you, whether it's in rank in the military or beneath you in age, you know, now you're in a school environment, that willingness to give back. There's, I don't think there's enough of us out there who have knowledge, who have abilities and the awareness of what we can do for others. If we just share that knowledge and share those you're abilities. Right, you're right. I mean, it, it goes from a servant standpoint. You have to really look at it. And that was exactly what I, you know, would tell my men uh, in the, all those combat formations that I was in that uh, I'm serving you. If I'm not pushing you hard and getting you ready, then there's no excuse when I have to call a family member because your life has been lost because that falls on my shoulders just as much as it falls on yours because it's my responsibility as a leader to train you. And then when I went to Northwestern high school, for example, or if I'm training an individual athlete, I put myself in that same situation. I try to say, what do you want to do on Friday? So I can understand your goals. I can understand your aspirations. I can understand your motivation. And then I can try to give you things that falls in line with that. So now you reach your God given potential because we all have potential. It's just unfortunate. A lot of people don't know how to tap into that. And both of us coming out of an uh, organization like the Marines, we learned that adversity in the beginning that, wow, there's so much more we can do. You know, why are we Amen. And that is probably the best lesson that I learned during my time in the Marines, especially coming out of boot camp, was that it's limitless what I can do. If there's a challenge put in front of me, I, you know, there's no reason to start belly aching about it 
There's no mm-hmm. reason to start thinking negatively about it because the challenge is still going to be there. So you might That's as well right. get your chin up, square your shoulders and ta- tackle it head on and start mm-hmm. thinking of solutions. And it's to the That's point right. now, and it might sound corny or it might sound like a cliche, but I actually enjoy a good challenge. I want to see how, I want to see what that challenge is going to do to me or for me. Mm-hmm. And then hopefully it'll put me in a situation where I then can be of service to somebody else. Again, it's all about giving back. And that's, that's the main reason why I have this podcast is I want to have conversations like what you and I are having. And hopefully I can give back by someone listening to what we're talking about and they find inspiration. They Most find things. a new reason to, to maybe to start a new direction in their life or maybe just reinforce the direction that they're going in. It's all about oh, giving back. Great. It's all about great. giving back. Oh, yes, most definitely. And, and like that, you talked about with the challenges. It's that adversity. Yes. That tests us. And, you know, if we overcome that, what does that do? It brings our tear case higher. Yeah. It builds confidence within us. So now that challenge is no longer what we call a challenge. That's a, that's an everyday event. Yeah. Now you get a new challenge. And, and again, now you're starting to reach higher, which in turn still shows that you're unlimited. You have the potential as long as your mindset does not prevent you from reaching. Because we all know the body will never shut down if our mind allows it to continue to drive forward. Once the mind goes, you can take the most elite level athlete in the world and they're never even going to beat an average athlete because of that mind over matter piece. Well, you you probably see this as well. Um, yeah, one thing I, I forgot to mention when I was going through your resume, you're also a two-time IPF powerlifting world champion, right? Twice? That's correct. That's yeah. correct. 15 and 16, I won in Finland, and I won in That's Texas. Right. And yeah. I finished uh, bronze in 19 after a deployment. I just, well, I just had knee surgery. That's right, so yeah. I, that meet at about 85 88%. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I come up a little short, but I was very pleased. I still even say it after uh, competing in the bronze there. That was my best meet ever. Okay. I didn't do but 31 training sessions, John, from January until June. I did 31 total training sessions. So I had no clue really where I was when I got to the platform. But, but, aren't, but aren't those the best meets when you get results like that? Yeah. That was the best meet. To know that I was on my third attempt on deadlift, John, and I, if I pull the third attempt, I win. Yeah, that's how yeah. close I still was. Yeah, yeah, my my best meet was probably um, people will be surprised at this. Uh, my best meet was in 2019, and this was after because my shoulder trouble started right before the uh, North American Championships when I met you. Yeah, in, yeah, the, in, the, in the Virgin Islands. And then it's just been a series of operations since then. And in 2019, it was a regional championship, IPF, here in Norway. And I ended up with the the the, the Norwegian national record, all time high, for raw squat. But I also wow. had but I also had the smallest bench of the meat. I only benched 25, 25 kilos. That's all right. Nothing wrong with that. And the, and the thing is is you know, pump, somebody might look at that total result and, oh, my God, you know, he only totaled, what, you know, 400 kilos altogether. But I'm finding the motivation in that performance by getting that squat record in spite of all of the trouble that I was having with my shoulder. And that kind of stuff is what you can do when you have the right mindset. 
Most definitely. Most and, what, definitely. and what I was going to say, what you've probably seen also as a powerlifter is you can see it in the eyes and in the body language of somebody, you know, before a heavy squat or, a, or, a, or a, maybe a record attempt on deadlift or whatever. You can see it in their body language if they're going to miss that lift. Uh-huh. Every uh-huh. time somebody in that situation misses a lift, I can see it in their eyes. You know, oh, that, yeah. that doubt and, and things like, you know, all the experiences that you've had over 27 years in the, in the, in the military and the, the experiences that I had in four years in the Marines, those things are what teach us that we can achieve these things no matter what. Very true. Yeah. Very true, John. Confidence. No, that's Confidence. Great. That's great. You shared that because I even went to the Arnold Classic in uh, 15. That's right. Uh, yeah. you know, they only invite the top 75 lifters in the United States to go and compete. Uh, and I went up there and I was having some shoulder problems. Uh, I ended up, uh, you know, torn my supraspinatus and labrum uh, when I was deployed in Afghanistan. I landed on my elbow. Oh, man. My equipment on it off of uh, coming off a high uh, truck. I landed on that elbow and it drove back on me. Um, so I was kind of still working with that. I was doing some PRP. I ended up doing some stem cell and stuff on it. But I went to Arnold Classic in all that window, broke the world record in the squat. I remember that. There, and only benched, I benched uh, equivalent to uh, 65 kilograms. Because I remember Arnold Schwarzenegger was sitting right there on the front row. Yeah. Okay. And then he spoke to me after I you know, broke the world record on the squat, congratulated me and stuff. And then he asked me what was going on with my bench because I did have the lightest yes. bench I opened up. Yeah, you know, I went from the heaviest guy on the squat. Same here. I didn't hardly get back there, and he's like, "You're you're coming up." You, I'm Same like, I ain't gonna, I'm like, I don't really need to warm up anyway. I'm just gonna go kind of touch and go with it, you know. Um, but yeah, I, I understand exactly. It's mindset. Yeah, it's mindset. It is. Let me ask you this. I want to go back to something that you touched on. Um, okay, you 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 didn't lose anybody in combat. That's correct. But I'm sure your every waking moment, you had that shadow hanging over you. What if I lose somebody? How am I going to handle that? Can you talk a little bit about what it's like to have, you know, I'm used to having a lot of responsibility for my family, mm-hmm. things I do in, in, in my, my work life business and all that stuff. But I don't know what I would do with that kind of responsibility. Can you talk about well, that a little great. bit? That's a great question, John. You know, one of the big things that, you know, I really tried diligently to do was to have a lot of attention to detail. So I, I really didn't sleep a lot uh, in certain uh, operations that we were operating in. I would essentially stay up numerous hours uh, beyond probably what I should have done, but it was because I wanted to make sure that I prepared the men as much as possible, especially right. in my mission analysis you know, I might get some intel and we might have 48, maybe 72 hours before we've got to hit a target. And, you know, I give all that information within the first four hours to my subordinate leaders. I give them different tasks and purposes. And then I'm usually giving myself an eight to 12 hour window before I pitch like the final order on the really minute detail on how we're going to conduct this operation. And I would memorize it. I would literally go through okay. every bit of it. So when I pitched it on a sand table, I could pitch it like a salesman would so that I could answer every question. I could be confident in front of my men so that they knew we can trust. We can trust Captain Bigham. We can trust Lieutenant Bigham. We can trust whoever, whatever position I was in. We can trust him because he knows he's done the due diligence. Right. This is 
the best way because he's in analyze it and done the enemy analysis and really come up with three or four COAs. And, and when he says that's the best one, it is the best one. And they started to learn after we'd done a few combat operations that we can trust him. Well, yeah, it's it's trust trust through experience. You know, you you lead right. you, you right. lead them properly and strong and with strength from the front. Uh, often enough, they, the respect falls into place. And I would say that sh that additional stress allowed me, and God gave me that ability to stay focused, where my mind didn't get off racing on something else. I was able to stay on that task cross all the T's and the I's within that task and then transition to the next and not second guess to go back. Mm. And now you have an incomplete mission analysis and an incomplete uh, op order that you're briefing your men. So it gave us time to do the rehearsals right. that was finite so that now you could just about do some of them blindfolded because yeah. you've done it so many times and that was one of the things that I was very stickler on was after we, you know, presented the order, we gave the men X amount of hours within that hour, they had to run so many rehearsals and I would observe a lot of those rehearsals. And if they weren't right, it was restart. It was restart. It was restart. And a lot of times you could tell the soldiers used to get frustrated, especially early. But once they seen that there's a reason and a logic behind this, they are in a position to buy in. And right. once they become bought in, you now have apples working with you like items. They start to help the process along instead of posing it. Let me ask you this. Now, you're how long ago did you retire? Because you, your, retirement, your retirement actually kind of snuck up on me. When I contacted you here recently, I thought you were still active duty. So I was I was surprised to hear you retired. Is it fairly yes, recent? I retired in September. In September. September of last year. Okay. So it's, it's been a little over six months. Now, I remember when I was finished with active duty, and, and I had only been in for four years, and I remember I, I struggled for a good 18 months to readjust and this is after only four years. Now you've been active duty um, with a pretty lot of responsibility, for, yeah. for a lot of responsibility. You're pretty much your entire adult life, as you say. How how's it going with the transition from that life to this life? Are how are you finding? Well, I don't want to say too much. I, let me just ask you: how, How's it going? How are you? How are you adjusting? Well, I tell you, one of the things I did, John, that I think helped make it a little bit smoother for me on my transition, at least initially was I took a job as a head strength coach for over 600 athletes at a, a really large high school here in South Carolina. Um, and I took that job before I even retired. Oh, so okay. So you knew what you were going to. Yeah. So I essentially didn't give myself as much time to be idle, as much time to kind of fish around. It was one of those God things. When you get a phone call on somebody, you're at the YMCA and you're working out yeah. Okay, on a Sunday. Yeah. I got a phone call by, from an athletic director. So another, uh, he had contacted somebody else and said, you know, we're looking for a strength coach. Well, that person he talked to, he said, you know, you got living in your area, don't you? And he was like, who? He's like, you got a guy that's changed the whole army. You know, he's a, he's a champion in powerlifting. You know, he's got a master's degree in his field. This is his passion. He's living in Rock Hill. You might want to give him a phone call. Okay. So he called and said, would you meet me over to school? So I met him over to school. We talked a little bit. The next day, the head football coach called me and we met and then it was done. Literally that next week, I was writing the programs and in there running the summer program. So that was probably the big thing that helped me initially was to have a purpose in life uh, and not become complacent and become to the point where I have no purpose. And then the mental stress gets so much on me um, that 
puts me in a position, becomes very overwhelming where you start to not sleep well. You start to be honored around other people that you supposedly love, you know. Uh, so that's one to keep peace and help me. But let me tell you, it was different, okay? And when I say different, we all know <laughs> when you make a transition from, you know, I, again, I, I've been in charge of pretty much since I would say 08, 09. Every position I was in, pretty much everywhere I deployed, uh, everywhere I operated, yeah, everybody's got another level, but almost every sale I operated in, I was in charge of. Whether it was a tap C, I was a senior yeah. guy there. You know, whether it was the master fitness school, I was a senior guy there. Whether it was, uh, you know, deploying with in Afghanistan, I was on a small cop with an SF unit. I, I was a senior guy there. You know, it just yeah. it starts to, you know, you start to look at that, and all of a sudden you show up at a high school, and you're no longer in charge, but the kids. A little Everybody bit of a, sh can, can I make a guess into your mind and, and say that it was probably something of a shock, but at the same time, it was probably a relief. You know, you can yeah. kind of lower your shoulders a little bit and breathe I, a little. I, I call it a double-edged sword. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so part of the side, it always seemed like it was keeping me on the edge and having to stay on my toes and having to always be ready. Uh, because I mean, like my last deployment, I went to Yemen. I had two weeks notice. Yeah, you know, two weeks, and I had to link up with SEAL Team Three and Seven Special Forces Group in Yemen. Uh, and so, I mean, it, it was very stressful yeah. when you get thrown in those type of situations uh, to finally go, Donnie, you don't have to do this anymore. Right. You don't have to, you know, worry about a threat or worry about getting deployed tomorrow. So that was a really good side. It was a really good side to be able to come in initially at work and be able to say, okay, because the only thing I had asked the team, you know, and the leadership was, I just want to be a strength coach. Yeah. Let me own the gym. Let me have the kids. Trust me. Y'all yeah. hired me. Trust me that I'm going to have the best interest for those kids. So that's what I say. For the most part, it was it was very well. Uh, but there were some things that I did have to come back. I can imagine. A little, prayer, a little time in prayer and a little time seeking some guidance from some mentors in my life. Yeah. And really know that I got to keep my mouth shut, that this is not my role now. I have to essentially humble myself and go with the flow. I can't try to change. I can't try to. Here we are back to that whole, we're back to that whole issue about humility now. Yep. You know, uh, let, let me ask you this. How does a guy like you find mentors? I mean, I, I know you, you're a sweet guy. You, you, you're, you're just the kindest, warmest soul of a person uh, out there. Uh, but you are, you, you said it yourself. You're used to being the top dog. And not, when you're the top dog, how do you find mentors that can actually I pull you the further? Biggest, the biggest places I have found mentors, I found a chaplain uh, at most every installation I've served. So they fall in a different lane, and we know that. Yes. They don't yeah. typically fall in your normal structure. So I, I'm going to be heading down back down to Fort Benning uh, this Friday. Uh, I've got a good friend of mine who's retiring after 25 years uh, as a chaplain. Yeah. Uh, so he was one of my mentors, you know, that was at Fort Benning with me. So every assignment I would go to, that would always be one of them. The second one I would always end up getting would be somebody in my church, whether okay. it ends up being a uh, associate pastor, whether it ends up being a Sunday school teacher, whether it ends up being some kind of deacon. And that's what I told you before. I always looked out for somebody that was 20 or 30 years older than me. Yes. That they walked the walk and talked the talk that could be honest with me. That could tell me, Donnie, no, that's not that's not what yeah. you need to do. Uh, this is this is the answer, and could give me that truth. 
um, because they had just more life experience. It was harder for me to find mentors in my career field that was in the uniform um, just because again, that's kind of what I was getting at is to find a, a mentor, you know, within your field of work, a mentor who could give you some practical advice that you can apply to what you actually were doing as an army officer. Yeah. So I did have obviously some commanders that I did spend some uh, time around the table yeah. with them, but I really wouldn't classify them so much as a mentor. Um, because at tap C at tap C and in that line of work you were in, you were pretty much on, I mean, you were setting the policy. Yeah. I was on my own for the whole strength and conditioning yeah. realm, you know, from 14 until 20, until 20, when I retired, uh, everywhere I went, I, nobody, uh, essentially could essentially advise me when I went to work for the two star at Fort Benning, when he brought me in by name selection and said, Donnie, I don't have a job description to give you. You need to, you write your own job description and give it to me. And I'll put it in your evaluation because I really don't know what to tell you to do, but I know, you know what the soldiers need and I trust you. Did you, you know ever I mean? feel, did you ever, and, and that's a heck of a thing for a two-star general to say something like that to you. That says a lot about your character and that says a lot about your abilities. But let me ask you this. Did you ever, did you ever wonder if you could handle it? Did you ever have any doubt along the way? Were you ever, did you ever feel like you were out of your league? I definitely did numerous times, um, not so much from a tactical standpoint, uh, but from a standpoint of how can I move this elephant? You know, <laughs> I'm the only person really that's trying to drive this, that has an understanding of being an infantry man, an infantry officer, and now a strength coach that I understand how soldiers are supposed to fight. I understand how you're supposed to lead him. How am I going to articulate this to these other commanders that don't understand the science that has done it one way for their whole career? And it's showed and, them. And here history. you come almost speaking a different language, so to speak, yeah. you know, yeah. it's, you, you literally rewrote the training handbook for the U S yeah. army. So I would imagine you met a lot of, if not direct opposition, you, you probably met a lot of people who just didn't quite understand where you were coming from. Am I right? I would say if I met 10 people, <laughs> nine, of them, nine of them said no. Nine of them said, we don't need this. We don't need to train, you know, soldiers like D1 athletes. They're not playing football. We don't need NFL players, you know, and I took it personal. I bet. I'm gonna yeah. I took it personal. Once I got empowered by that two-star yeah. uh, and was essentially told that, Donnie, you're my direct representative. Because they sent me to Hawaii, they sent me to Alaska, they sent me to Washington, uh, Seattle, they sent me to Fort Drum, they sent me. I went to all these installations, pitching this to get that type of model at their organizations. Every time I would go in, it'd be a one or two or three star general, and his whole staff yeah. that I would be presenting to. And again, I'm an outlier. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and a lot of them was not receptive because, again, our doctrine. Our policies specifically says that commander, that two, that three star is in charge of the physical readiness of that unit. For me to come in and pitch it, it was almost like I was a salesman. Right. So I had to get them to buy in. I had to get them an opportunity for me to come down and let's see how it operates. Let me come in and show you on the ground with application what this looks like. I'm not going to feel you 
you know, with what the phosphagen energy system is. I'm not going to feel you what the gracilis muscle does when it's an AB adduction. I'm going to feel you with when you conduct a mount operation and you're stacked on side of the outside of the room and the second man comes up and breaches the door and you go in and clear that room. I want you to understand how this transitions to an exercise set that allows you to get better at that. So now your heart rate can be slower yes. when you conduct that, which allows you to think clearer to make the right decision whether I'm supposed to shoot this person or not. See, and when I hear you pitch that, you, I take what you said now as a pitch. If I were a general, let's say as a, a two-star general, and I heard that, well, I guess I'm, I'm coming from a different place because I understand uh, what it means to be more tactical with my, with my physicality. You know, we're both power lifters and things like that. But I would imagine that, uh, you know, when they, when, when they know that the, the system that the Army has had has been there for, what, 40, 50 years when it comes to physical training, yes, that maybe that. it was time, maybe it was time yeah. to change it. Yeah. 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 I mean, the PT test was there since 1980. And, 1980. You know, yeah. yeah, it started in 1980. It come out of uh, Carter's administration from 78. Uh, that's when it was established. And if everybody knows anything about that era, that's when we transitioned out of the draft. So we were right. an all-volunteer force. With an all-volunteer force, you know, they essentially wanted everybody to look good in uniform. Yeah. They was tired of seeing people overweight and not fit. So that's why they said, let's do something equivalent to a presidential fitness test that they're doing in the PE schools uh, because they essentially brought that person on a committee. And that's why they come in with a two-mile run. They come in with the push-ups, the sit-ups, et cetera. Um, but yes, there it was very, very challenging, John. And there were so many times that I'm going to be honest. I wanted to just say I'm done with this because you know I could have retired in 14. Yeah. I could have just 20 years and got out, yeah. you know, and said this is enough. But when that door opened and God opened that door for me, I knew He was fulfilling a purpose with me, and I trusted Him that He's going to allow me to get this accomplished. Because if I try to do it as Donnie Bigham. It's never going to happen because that's what I tell everybody. When I go and give a testimony about different things about being a strength coach, I said, do you really think a lonely old guy from Clinton, South Carolina, that's five foot six and weighs 165 pounds before he ever really touched any major iron, and I still only got to 185, so you're still not talking <laughs> about a big guy. But do you think that a guy like that was a former Marine, spent some time in the Guard, and then made his career in the Army is going to be able to fall in that position right. and just take over and run this. Yeah. I said, you, if you think you can do that as an individual, you don't know how good God is. You don't have a clue. You know, I, 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 I said at the beginning that we have two forms of brotherhood. One, U.S. Marines. The other, spirituality. Um, I remember if we go back to when we met, finally met face-to-face, -face, I think we had like a month or two of chatting a little bit on Instagram, and then we met at the Virgin Islands for the North American Championships. And I think already in that first conversation, maybe even in the first sentence that you spoke, you, you, you were using terms like God willing. You were using words like blessed. And I'm like, this guy, I, I like this guy. You know, it, it, you know so, so that we have that brotherhood as U.S. Marines, and we have that brotherhood in our spirituality. Most so, definitely, bro. Yeah. It so, is. It's, uh, it's a brotherhood. And it allows you to really, truly understand what is most important in your life. And it comes from your heart. You know, it's just unfortunate. A lot of people don't really understand. They keep their heart locked up. 
It's barricaded. It's got a key on it. It's like, who do you give the key to? Yeah, yeah. They don't give the key to anybody. And then what they do is they allow all that anger, all that frustration, things that don't go their well, it starts to build up. And then it's essentially a bomb, you know, waiting to explode. I mean, that's, that's one of the questions I get all the time is, you know, how do soldiers, you know, get out of the military and Marines get out, you know, and they go and kill people and they go and do things like that. And I said, First and foremost, they've not dealt with some heart things. Yes. That, that's the thing. It's not, I've had, I've had 18 concussions. I've got a TBI. Okay. On the left side of my brain. Um, I've had a lot of damage to my brain. Okay. And it has caused me to not sleep well. It's caused me to have some bad nightmares. It's caused me to, you know, do some things that I typically wouldn't do because I was not really conscious as in crawling up under the floor and hiding and doing other foolish things like that when you're supposed to be asleep. Um, but yeah, but Donnie, Donnie, let me stop you for a second. Don't say foolish. Don't say that because it's, it's not foolish. It's, um, you know, that that's trauma that you've experienced, you know, and I have yeah. my own forms of that, that I struggle with as well. And I also had to learn to not call it foolish or weakness or being stupid. It's, it, it, it it's trauma that it's actually, you should, we should consider ourselves blessed Mm -hmm. that we haven't completely folded under from That's that right. type from that type of trauma. So Most I, I love, I love you too much. I love you too. I love you too much to let you say that anything you do is oh, foolish. Thank, thank so I got so you, brother. Correct. I got you. You're right. You're right. But you're right. Being blessed beyond words, but there's so many people that really, it's a heavy load. Work. It's a heavy it load is. and not everybody knows how to carry it. And some people nope. carry it by trying to be hard. I, I saw this as a police officer. As you know, I was a cop for yes. seven years after after the Marines. When I was finishing the Marines, I drove a truck for 18 months, you know, to think, get my head together, figure out what I want to do. And then I, I became a police officer. And I saw so many times these, and we see it today in the news. I think a lot of the issues that are... Uh, that are out there, the negative issues that are out there among police officers, is it's, it comes from them holding too much in. They try mm -hmm. to man up and you got to man up, you know, you got to, yeah. you got to toughen up, but you also need to talk. You also need to unload, deload, right. deload, if you will, if we can right. use a powerlifting term. And, yes. and I think the, the, the testament is here you are and you're functioning and you're, 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 you're furthering your, your, your strength career, if you will. Um, and the fact that you're able to do that says a lot. It's a testament to how you've dealt with these things. You know, you have moments of, you know, whatever, you know, with, with, I don't know, flashbacks or, or PTSD and whatnot, but you're handling it obviously because you're functional. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So that's a testament it, to your strength, right? It there. is. And I can tell you, you know, uh, it, it took me a lot of time and due diligence to find the right counselor, you know, that was that's in important. line that was in line uh, with what I needed um, and versus not just having an agenda and trying to hurry up and get you out so we can get the next block and you treat it like an assembly line. Um, I went through that for about four years before God laid upon my heart, the right person. And I spent about two and a half years with that, that one person, you know, so you and, found, you found the one that you could relate to the one that understood. That's where, I, and, and it made a significant, the most impact of dealing with the trauma in my life uh, so that I could be, you know, not only a better coach, but be a better father and a better husband, you know, um, which in turn is going to allow my family to prosper and not handcuff me. There you go. Me. There you go. 
restrictions. You know what I mean? You, you're doing what you have to do to be in the best possible position of strength to be a leader for your family and be, yeah, be the man that you need to be for your family. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, and again, it says a lot about your strength that you're actually doing something about that because not everybody does. I've seen so many police officers with issues and they choose not to deal with it. And all it does is end up in, in, in chaos and, in, in pain, uh, sometimes death, they take their own lives and it's all because they don't even attempt to deal with it. There was no such thing as counselors among the people I worked with back in my day. There was no counseling. People just didn't do that. Yeah. You know, yeah. so it's a testament to your strength that you do. Th- it's a testament to your strength and your humility. Again, your humbleness that you, sp- that you talk about this because not a mm-hmm. lot of people are willing to talk to it. No, about a lot it. of people's not. And, but at the end of the day, it's just like we, you talked about loosely earlier is you have to open that mold up. Yeah. You have to come out of that shell and you have to allow yourself to be transparent yeah. as often as you can. If you can do that more often, it does not become something that's a barrier no more in your life. It can become something that's positive. It can be something to encourage somebody else to maybe get some help for them. And you there didn't you go. Exactly. to help in that conversation, but because it came up and it was an honest, uh, truthful conversation, that's what people people deserve. They deserve the truth. They deserve to know that, Hey, you've been through trials and testaments too. And uh, what have you done in them? Again, a lot of people, like you said, is going to kind of be close hold and they're not, they're going to essentially say, you know, I didn't do anything or I took these drugs or I did that. And yeah. you know, I'm still dealing with it. I'm good. You know, well, I tell um, you, pr- prayer and a good mentor or a good counselor will solve a lot. <laughs> it will solve exactly. a lot. And I'm so glad you talk about this because I, like I told you, that's the main reason I do this podcast is to have these kind of conversations. And I hope and pray that people can take something out of these conversations and, mm-hmm. and, and further their lives and strengthen their lives. So right. I, I give you the thumbs up, brother, for even talking about because a lot of people won't do it. A lot of people Thank won't so do much. it. Thank you so much. You know, I um, I want I want to tease you a little bit. I have never seen. Okay, <clears throat> there's there's Vanilla Ice, there's Eminem, and then there's Donnie Bigum. <laughs> <laughs> You know what I'm talking about. Everybody, uh, everybody listening, if you go on, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to post a link to your Instagram when I post this episode, yeah. you guys need to go on Donnie's Instagram and there's a lot of good information, you know, about training and, and, um, you know, fitness and strength and stuff like that. But you got to find the videos where Donnie is popping and locking. You are definitely, right. you are definitely a child of the late eighties, early nineties, the way you dance like that. Most definitely brother. Hey, I'll tell you just a quick story on that. I, I, you know, I was had such a passion and a love for, you know, Michael Jackson. Yep. Uh, that was that was one of my, you know, favorite musicians, you know, when I was a child growing up. And, you know, that was around middle school, you know, when Thriller come out and Beat It come out, you know, and all those top hits. Sure, and sure. obviously that was the standard back then. And, you know, I was a little, I was a little old country boy, white boy, you know, <laughs> from uh, South Carolina. And, I love it. Uh, I tell you, I used to sit in my bedroom, you know, I was in middle school and I'd practice all those things in the mirror, you? you know, and I'd watch those breakdancing movies and I'd on the VHS or a beta or whatever. And I'd rewind that thing and I'd try to get a couple of the moves out of that keep practicing. Well, lo and behold, John, I got pretty good at it, you know, in the PE classroom, kind of doing with some of the guys in the locker room before you know it, another Hawaiian kid asked me that didn't really know me. You know, I played baseball. He had played football at that time. But asked me, he said, "Hey, would you let's go and practice dancing together?" He was really good on the okay. floor with all the things. 
So we both joined up. We practiced a couple months, and then we entered the middle school breakdancing contest. Oh, me and him, you know, it was a Samoan and a white boy, you know. <laughs> uh, That's a heck of a crew, everybody. man. That's a we heck of a crew. We took, we took the trophy, man. Oh, we, we was man. Like, I was riding on a cloud nine. I was like, I just think when I was the tick master, he was a floor machine. You know, he could just sweep up the floor and I could sit up there and do all the ticking well, and pop it and lock it. Well, the thing is, you know, you, you can see guys our age try to do the ticking and the popping and locking. And you can say, you can look at them and be like, okay, well, they're, they're, they're a fan. They're an aficionado of it. But when you do it, I'm like, he, he, he knows what he's doing. He's not playing. Donnie knows what he's doing. So when you tell I me did. now that you actually were winning comp uh, contests and you were actually practicing it, it show it That's shows right. to this day. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I definitely still have a love for music. Um, that's still one of my greatest passions. Is it really? Is to be able to dance. Yeah. I mean, I love going to weddings. I love, I don't really, I'm not a big bar guy. I don't really like that scene. But anywhere I can go and, you know, get an opportunity to dance. Now, my wife, she has to always keep me in rain. <laughs> So she'll always say, ain't going to go fast, no fast beats when I'm on the floor. No. You just stay with the slow beats and you keep me going and we're good. If it pops into an individual thing, you have your little fun, but don't put me out there while I'm no. out there and get caught up in that. So she's, she's with you, so she's with you on like the Teddy Pendergrass slow jams and stuff like that. That's right. Okay. So I took I took three years of uh, dance as an elected. Did you really? Wow. Undergrad. Uh, so I did, I did a lot of the ballroom dancing. Uh, really? I did a lot of uh, a lot of the um, the waltz and et cetera. So yes, I, I love music and like I, said, I love the dance. Whenever I can get a chance, I can remember, you know, our wedding night. Um, we had just got done cutting the cake, and it, you know, the greatest thing is she let me pick all the music, uh, you know, for, for the music afterwards. So because she's like, I know Donnie loves to dance, and I don't want to put just a bunch of slow songs on there. No, he had the Bee Gees was the first thing they put on. Okay. The Bee Gees, after we cut the cake and done our little thing right there, the music, everybody was in there all packed in, you know. Yeah. And the music came on, and I was like the double doors behind me, and I was already doing all the moves going out on the floor. <laughs> I was like the first one out there by myself, you know. I love it, man. I love it. I love it. No, see, I, I my wife can't identify with this. She's a country girl from Norway. Uh -huh. so I, I try to talk with her about, you know, the old school jams and all that kind of stuff. And she, she just kind of rolls her eyes and she's just not with it. So I'm kind of alone here when it comes to that stuff. Man. <laughs> oh, I understand. I'm still kind of an outcast even now, you know, even when I get around a bunch of the young people, but the young people do like it. Yeah. And they yeah. And especially like, I mean, just at Northwestern. Okay. I played all the music for the kids. A lot of times I let them choose music. Obviously it had to be clean. If it wasn't clean, we wasn't going to yeah, play it. Yeah. But I, uh, if we got on some 80s on there, every oh, now and then you get some 80s thrown on there. You're the DJ. I'd be spotting somebody and I'd do a little thing and roll my stomach <laughs> a little bit. And they would just all start going crazy. Oh, coach, you can't do that. And these guys would just start going crazy and having a good old time. You know? Where, where did you grow up in South Carolina? Where did you go to school? So I went to Clinton High School, which is in Lawrence County. It's got a small college by the name of Presbyterian College that's in that little town. What's, what's the biggest uh, city? What's the biggest city? I'm fairly familiar with South Carolina. I did a lot so of driving through there when I was a trucker. Was Greenville. Um, Greenville, okay. Yeah. yeah, so Greenville was the closest, biggest, and then Columbia would be the next. Okay. Yeah, Columbia's about an hour away from us, uh, and Greenville is about 30, 35 minutes away. I was in both cities a lot. There's a lot of paper mills and stuff. I was running a lot of paper oh, products yeah. through there. Oh, yeah. yeah. We had a lot of cotton mills in our area when okay. I grew up. 
Um, but yeah, there is still some paper mills. Like here, even in Rock Hill, they got a they got a paper company uh, just right down the road. Uh, what, was, what was it like for you coming from? No, is is this a rural area in uh, uh, outside of these cities that you came from, or was it more of a regular city town atmosphere? Was it rural? So like where I was in Clinton, it was a a, a farm area. Okay. Very rural. So, no really no city there. So what was it like coming from that? And then stepping into the to the U.S. Marines, stepping into boot camp there, because I can oh. tell you, for me, for me, my, where I came from in a rural kind of sheltered place in Ohio, um, well, I went I went to college before the Marines, but both experiences were kind of a shock to me, because these rural areas you can't really compare. I mean, that's that's not life really. It's 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 what it is for that area. So, mm-hmm. what was it like for you to then start meeting all kind of different people? Uh, yeah, it was, it was a little different for me. I wouldn't say it would classify as a shock no. um, because my dad was an air traffic controller for the FAA. Uh, and we moved, like my fifth grade, I moved three times. I lived, oh, okay. in, Memphis, I lived in Memphis, I lived in Louisville. Oh, and I lived okay. So I really did not, I was born in Clinton. I didn't come back there until about middle school. Okay. So from about uh, a five-year-old up till about 11 or 12, I essentially lived in, Oklahoma, Mississippi, Memphis, Tennessee, well, that, yeah. Atlanta, so, Georgia. I live in a lot of pretty big cities. Yeah, uh, and all that moving will, will get you used to, to adapting to changes. But it I, was really easy for me from that standpoint, to be honest, um, you know, going into the military. Because okay. I felt like every year I was learning, trying to figure out who I was with the group of people I was around in, in yeah. the fourth grade. Right, you know what right. I mean? I didn't already know nobody. No, nobody knew me. So I had to always try to figure out how to make my own friends and stuff like that when right. I was young. Okay. Yeah. No, I, I can remember thinking back to boot camp, and we I remember we had a kid who, I don't know his whole story, but he was, uh, he had come there from Puerto Rico, and this kid couldn't even speak English. I think he was barely 18. And I, I can remember, of course, you know, everybody's kind of occupied with their own adjustments during boot camp. Oh, yeah. But oh, I remember yeah. I remember keeping my eye on this kid and just watching his struggle and his transformation and things like that so oh that had to been real yeah. especially with the language barrier yeah uh, yeah that's that's i remember i had a test to being in i've served in over 27 different countries and you know most of those i was in a, a leadership role so i had an interpreter uh, usually okay. most of the time always with me okay. so it made it a little bit easier for me but it was always still a, a struggle yeah. you know what i mean uh, to really kind of have to pause on every conversation, yeah. you know, make your make your statement, and then you know, wait for that translation. So period. you don't you don't speak any other languages? Not fluently. Now no. I've gotten loose language of a lot of different countries, uh, whether it was in Bosnia, whether it was in Afghanistan, you know, whether it was in Iraq, etc. Yeah. But when I say loose, I'm talking about simple things like you know, hellos, uh, good afternoon, you know, naming myself like over to Donpo to the Chadi Bigham, you know, that's in Bosnia. You know, so I'm essentially telling you, Serb Croatian is uh, good morning. My name's Lieutenant Bigham. How are you today? Now, I, you have some, I, mean? I have some Bosnian friends. I'm going to check I'm gonna yeah. check you up yeah. on that now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so little things like that I can still speak yeah. uh, in certain areas. And I would say I was probably a little bit more diverse when I was inside the country, but never was fluent in any one of those languages. I should, I should teach you Norwegian, man. Get you over here. and. Uh... That's right. I tell That's you, right. Norwegian. They love to have old Southern boy come in and put that, <laughs> that twang on it. Because it was funny, my 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 interpreters always would tease me, and they say, "We love to hear you say the different languages." Uh, I said, 
it's very unique. It's like we don't hear people say it like that all the time. <laughs> I tell, Norwegian is a beautiful language. I'm so proud that I can speak it. I, it's, it's like music to my ears. It's a real musical language, up and down kind of sing song type of thing. I awesome. Love it, man. Awesome. 20 years, man. I've been here almost 20 years in Norway. Wow. Does it seem like you've been there that long? Yes and no. Um, how do I say this? I, I love it here. I love it a lot. I've had a lot of success. My family is doing well. My wife and our, our two kids. Um, it's been it's been exciting. It's still exciting. But I'm terribly homesick. I think I told you this when we were on the phone before. I'm looking forward just to talking to not just another American, but another military man and another powerlifter. Uh -huh. You know, to, to I find it difficult sometimes to identify over here. Yeah. Because it's not home. Because it's not home. Say how often do you get back to to, to uh, United not, States? Not often enough. Um, I can count on one hand how many times we've been back home in these in these twenty years. So it's it's not even it's not even close to being enough. Um, mm. My last time was in was it April of twenty nineteen? April of twenty nineteen. Okay. But I, and I just went back by myself. My wife couldn't get off work and it was in the middle of the school year for our kids. Yeah. So yeah, I just no, went I'm... back to see family, but, um, uh, it's, it's not often enough, man. Homesick, homesick. I can understand. And, um, but at the same you... time, it's, it's again, it's, 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 it's wonderful here. It's, it's exciting. There's always something new to learn. I have my network of, of, of friends and people I work with, with music and, and, uh, and, and all the little things that I do. So, you know, but I still feel like I'm a visitor, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Well, I was offered some opportunities, you know, to kind of go to the collegiate or professional arena, yeah. you know, as a strength coach after I retired. Um, and that was one of the main reasons why I came back to Rock Hills. I wanted some roots. I wanted to be here with my family. Uh, because really the last four years, my last four years in the military, I commuted. Yeah. Uh, my wife and family stayed here in South Carolina, and I drove typically two times a month. Uh, 12 hours round trip in a weekend uh, to come home yeah. uh, and spend just a little bit of time with the family. So, you know, when, the, when those opportunities opened up on the table, I, I said, I'm not even going to apply. I'm not even going to, uh, you know, put my name in the hat because if they offer me the job, I'm not going to separate from my family. Along those lines, I was thinking earlier, you must have the world's best wife. Well, the, the second best wife. I, I got the best wife. You must have the second best wife. You must have the second best wife in the world. Um, you know, thinking about the stress uh, that it puts on the family with you having the type of career that you've had for the, all these years. Um, she is, she's taught me a lot about humility. Her passion is uh, she does physical therapy uh, for special needs children. Okay. Uh, that's her, that's her calling. And, and she loves those kids. Uh, with such a heart that, you know, just blows me away when I get an opportunity to go with her, you know, to maybe work at a pool with a, a Down syndrome child, you know, and she's been working with that child for three or four years already. And I'm able to just go spend 30 minutes with him in the pool. Yeah, uh, yeah. And it just overwhelms me to see how much that child not only loves her and how much she does for them, but just how much it really allows you to appreciate life and appreciate you know, all the gifts and talent that everybody has because, yeah. you know, a lot of people get skewed to think, you know, a special needs type child is not a gift right. and doesn't really provide blessings for others. But it's, it's such a blessing when you get around one of those children 
and how they just go about life with no stress and how they just love unconditionally exactly how you are. They don't put on a face. It's 100% pure. There's no BS in it. It's 100% pure. Mm-hmm. Well, I can tell, I can tell you love your queen. I, you know, and I got mine too. I, te- I tease my wife relentlessly. Um, I don't know if you knew this, but I also do a little stand up comedy. I haven't done much of that this past year, but I do stand up comedy over here too. And I t- I try a lot of my material out on my wife. Oh, uh, and if I can make her smile, cause she's, she's, you know, you, know you got it. Booked, I, I know man. I got it. And, uh, <laughs> and I te- I tease her a lot. And in that teasing, I'm also testing out material. So she comes up, uh, you know, I, I mention her a lot in my stand-up. So the, uh, the very fact that she hasn't stuck me with a knife yet says a lot about how good our relationship must be because I'm terrible yeah. to her. I'm just terrible. That is, that is awesome. That is awesome. <laughs> she's got that, she's got that, that warm-heartedness that, that you're talking about with your wife. My wife is in uh, the medical field. She's a psychiatric nurse. Okay. And I, I couldn't do that job. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the responsibility for, for, uh, for, for, you know, the treatment of other, another person's psychological health. That's a, that's a huge responsibility. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it's a heavy burden. It is a heavy burden. And, and, uh, you know, and your wife has taken on a heavy burden, you know, uh, physical therapy for, for special needs kids. That's, uh, mm-hmm. it's important mm-hmm. work. Aren't, aren't the it women is. always better than we are? They're always. They are. <laughs> I think that's one of the biggest things, you know, that she's rubbed off on me is, you know, to, Really, she emphasized when I did the strength conditioning for the Army and how I really put my foot down about it uh, and how we really listened to God on it was, you know, God's called you to do something. And if you're not going to serve with the gifts he's given you in that field, then really, what is your purpose? Yeah. You know, Um, so that's exactly why she's always been at peace, because she knows that's exactly where she's supposed to be. And she gets so excited. It's like I'm not even going to work, you know. Uh, it's just like every job, you're going to always have something that, you know, like she don't, she's not a big fan of doing all the paperwork, no. you know, and you have to get the paperwork. That's just part of the medical community. Yeah. Um, but it, it makes so much of that time she gets to spend with those children. It just makes it worthwhile to spend that little time. And that's the same thing. Why, you know, people say, well, why are you going to go be a strength coach? You ain't even retired. Um, because I love kids. I love yeah. opportunity to coach. And it was like, I was not really working. Um, you know, to be around those kids all day. Uh, so I'm really, I'm going to be honest, it's, it was kind of, it broke my heart a little bit to leave, but I knew it was time for me to move on back into yeah. my education side because I'm such a passionate learner. Yeah. And I knew if I don't get to a terminal degree in this field, That's I right. can't change curriculum. I cannot write research documents. I cannot allow other people to have this gift. Uh, it's great to coach the athlete and make them a better person, but can you change the the foundational principles in the universities? You can't do that without that terminal degree. So yeah, because you're you're getting started on that PhD now this week, aren't you? Isn't this your first week? Well, I actually started doing all my uh, paperwork and everything. My classes start through on the third of May. Okay, so it's just a few weeks down the road, and I'll be getting started. Uh, and it'll run me for about three and a half years. Okay. Man, best of luck with that. I, I always tell people, half jokingly but half uh, truthful, that I'm just going to have to get by with the brain work that I have because I don't think I have the patience to go back to school. I'm just going to no, have to get by with the smarts that I have. That's a that's a heck of a thing to take on, uh, especially at our age. I mean, we just have a different 
brain, <laughs> you know, and, and I'm not saying we can't absorb new information. Of course we can, but it mm. just, it, it's, it seems like it's harder to do that school thing, that formal school thing. The older I get, the further away it seems. That I, the only reason I think it's going to be easier for me is I'm so passionate about yeah. changing some of the curriculum. Yeah. And I'm looking at that long-term goal and I'm not going to allow myself to get too wrapped around the short-term goal. I want to learn as much as I can. Uh, and allow myself to impact, uh, you know, that arena as much as I can during that time period with the university. But once that's complete, you know, I have some bigger objectives. Um, not only want I want to change with the tactical arena, but I really want to help universities. Like I went down to Citadel and worked with Dr. Bornstein uh, to help them write the curriculum for their undergrad and master's degree in, in the tactical strength and conditioning. Man, that's There's just amazing. University right now that offers that. I want to make sure other universities have that capacity. Yes. We need to give those tools to future strength coaches to know how to work with that population because it's different than just working with D1 athletes or working with professional athletes. It's still all fundamental sound with the science, but there's more of a mental side on that, and there's more of a a big gap between an elite-level athlete and what you call your average person in a uniform. Yeah. And you got to know how to meet in the middle – to be able to still target both audience within that formation. And when you think about how it can actually save lives on the battlefield, uh, this is some serious, important work that you're doing. This isn't nothing to, to screw around with. I mean, you, you, the stuff that you've done, man, it, it, it really is incredible. I mean, I, I, I just have to hat, say hats off to you again because it, 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 it's, it's such, such important work. I mean, it can dictate how effective our uh, defense forces are in the future. I mean, it's a, re- it really is. A, we haven't really talked too much about the details on it, but it really is a radical change. Um, the type of physical fitness that you have taught at tap C and other places, it's a radical change from what the army had been doing for decades before. Yes, it is. When you actually start to look at the five fitness components and really now try to be holistic and capture all those and then also have a sports psychologist to be with the squad, you know, on a lane that's conducting what we call sports specificity for that particular combat battle uh, drill or that warrior task and battle drill to be able to be right there with them, to challenge them mentally when they're physically near their peak, because that's going to be very close to what they're going to experience in combat. Obviously we're not going to shoot at them, uh, but we're going to give them things. Gonna push them. We're going to push them hard, but then we're going to make the brain go, I've got a laser pistol and I'm going to shoot this target. And now I need to know what the square root of 81 is to find that answer on that board to shoot it while my heart rate's up here. Okay. Exactly. That's a different mental capacity in learning how to regulate your breathing coming out of a stressful event to an event that requires you to be finite of engaging a threat that's deathly. It's not that you're just, I'm shooting a BB gun or I'm going to shoot a paintball in a fun game. It's, I could have just killed a child or I could have just killed my fellow Marine or fellow soldier, or I could have just, you know, had some uh, other fratricide with another adjacent unit because yeah. I, I was not thinking clearly because my heart rate was up in my chin, you know, uh, and that's some of the things we were able to do across those five fitness components to make it as realistic as it can be and to then develop individualized programs 
that corrects weaknesses within each soldier. If there's 150 training and that 90 minute time block, when they come to certain periods of it, they're given a card that's individualized to what their attributes are that says, this is a prescription to fix your valgus collapse, your knees going in. This is a prescription because you're not doing a proper hip hinge when you picked up that CASI back or to doing a prescription of, I need you to do a pile of press exercise that engages your core. That's going to stabilize your platform to shoot from with a pistol or a rifle. See, and here, <laughs> these things you're mentioning now, these are some elements that the new elements of training and fitness that you've brought into the strength and, and conditioning program for the U.S. Army. Before it was pretty much, yeah, do your sit-ups, your push-ups, pull-ups, and run your three miles or, or two, what was it, two miles? Yeah, two miles for yeah. the Army, yes. And, uh, of course, it was only two miles for the Army. Yeah, Three, three, right. three for the Marines. Hey, Ura. Hey, I'm going to tell you, when I went from the Marines over, I was like, I, I used to think the three miles was pretty challenging. I was around a, I would always be between an 1830 and a 1930. That was normal my window. There was a few times I ran some 17s, but that was kind of, you know, I was at my peak. Uh, but I would say that would have been my window. It was yeah. around 1830 to 1930 was my three-mile time. When I transitioned to the Army and it was two miles, I never had a problem even going slower than 12 minutes Yeah, because yeah. it was like, it was almost like I just got it started and I didn't reach that winded part because no. I had trained three miles. It's really a different world. You know, I was always fine. I think my best time was a 19 flat. Mm -hmm. I was usually in the high 19s. Some, I think a couple of times I crept up over 20, uh, but, but I, I did hit a 19 once, but I remember every time I ran it, uh, I was fine until just after the two mile mark. And then that adrenaline would kick in and the motivation to, to try and beat my previous time would kick in. And I would always burn myself out for that last mile. But yeah, if I, if I would have only had to run two miles, it would have been a different world, man. Cause I was fine. Two first miles. Oh, yeah. fine. Uh, the big thing when you start to look at the science on that, John is it's a 60, 40 split uh, for a two mile run. So when I say 60, 40 split, that means it's 60% anaerobic, 40% aerobic on a two mile. Ah, okay. When you go to three mile, it ends up becoming a, uh, a 40, 60 split the opposite way. Gotcha. That explains so it. Capacity is going to now be the higher priority energy system. You're going to use more fat in an oxidative state because it's three miles than you are because what most people do like in the army is they take off and like, like as fast <laughs> as they can run. Okay. Yeah. And, and it's the wrong way to do it, but that's just what they do. They'll take off like a wild man, and they will run the first, say, mile. They'll be cruising in at like a six-minute. Yeah. But yeah. then they just run into the wall, and they don't – now they, they're going to run eight minutes on the last mile, and it ends up with a 14-minute two-miler, and they're like, yeah. well, my time's not that good. Why well, I try to tell them, run the first one in seven. Mm -hmm. You will have more in the tank. Now you'll run a 1330. Yeah, see, I – but they, I, they wouldn't, a lot of times wouldn't do it. I always burned myself out at the two, uh, the two mile mark. Right after that was when I started going downhill. Man, I, that's like, that's another lifetime ago. I, I couldn't imagine myself running like that now. I'm a, I'm a super, I'm a super heavyweight powerlifter, as you know. I, I just ain't built oh, for yeah. that. Oh, I, ain't, yeah. I ain't built for that running no more. <laughs> well, you know, when I won the world championship in Finland, I had a lot of people ask me, okay, across the military arena. Because, you know, when I was on the world team there and I won, nobody else on the whole USA, Team USA, was in the military. Okay? Everybody yeah. else done some other job, yeah. and they didn't have to really train oxidative. No. They, didn't, they didn't have to. 
No. They didn't have to go run two or three miles or do anything. Well, I'm going to tell you, post 30 days from breaking the world record and winning the world championship in Finland, I ran like a 1230 for my two-miler uh, after squatting over 600 pounds at like 181-pound body weight. And everybody was – I sent it out to the whole Team USA to let them know my two-mile run times. They were all freaking out. They was like, you are just a crazy man. There's no way. There's no way you can run, you know, a six, 15-minute mile after squatting, you know, three and a half times your body weight. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And it was because, you know why? I trained that tap C then, that model. I did nothing but anaerobic training. I did nothing but short sprints so I could maintain my strength and still do well on the world team. And have an opportunity to still be very decent because that's not elite level running two mile. No, you know, I've ran some 11s before, and that's not elite. It's not, but, but it is, but it is surprising for a power lifter to do that. Absolutely. Yeah. So to be able to go out there and still probably spent for the military, still finish in the 90 to 95 percentile, you know, in a two mile run, but then be the number one in the world, you know, at, a, at an age of 45. Yeah. Uh, and squat over three and a half times my body weight was that's where it was a big difference. And that's where a lot of commanders light bulb went off to go, what are you doing? Because yeah. how can you do that? You know what I mean? How are you able to still be able to go out and effectively do both and not get hurt? Well, there's a lot of myths that you crush up in all of that. You crush the myth of the power lifter, not having any, uh, any wind. Uh, you know, here you are, you're running your two miles with the times that you were doing while you were a champion power lifter. Uh, the other myth that you crush, and I'm so proud that I crushed this one too. When I set the Norwegian uh, raw squat record in, in 2019, I was 50 years old. Mm -hmm. 50 years old. And here you are, you know, you were in your middle to late 40s as a yep. world champion a couple times over. Uh -huh. And it's crushing that myth that when you reach, I don't know, a lot of people say 35. From 35 oh, yeah. on, your strength yeah. is going to go down. Yeah. And that's yeah. just not true. That's just it's not, not true. I mean, I... I lifted weights from 13 years old until present now, and still my heaviest squat was in my mid-40s. I've never squatted over 600 pounds until that standpoint. Um, I've squatted 500 many times, but I never got to 600 pounds uh, until I'm gonna I was squat, I'm going to squat 800 before I'm done. I'm going to get this shoulder and this neck issue fixed. I'm going to squat yeah, 800. I got, uh, I, 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 it's, it's, there's a lot of reasons why I want to do it. One, I think I can. And I want to do it. I'll probably be, I'm, I'm going to be 52 here in May. So I'll probably be 53, 54 when I do it. And that's just going to be amazing for me. That'll be a big goal that I've reached. But I also oh, yeah. want to do it because uh, Eddie Cohen, uh, I can't remember what we, we were going back and forth teasing each other about something. Um, anybody who's listening who doesn't know who Eddie Cohen is, he's one of the greatest, probably the greatest powerlifter ever. Yeah, um, pound for pound. Yeah. And we were teasing each other back and forth about something. And he said something to the effect of, well, you just need to shut up because you've never squatted 800. And I said, well, okay, I'm, I'm going to <laughs> I'm gonna have to squat 800 before it's all over just so I can uh -huh. go back to him and say, now, right. now, how you like me now? So that's right. That's right. 800, man. That's, that's gotta be, uh, that's gotta be done. That's gotta be done before I'm finished with oh, powerlifting. That'd be great. Yeah. I, I would really like to do the 700 pound squat and have a 700 pound deadlift. Um, and I'd like to be able to train for about two years without having to run except whatever yeah. I want to do. You yeah. know what I mean? Cause that's going to make a big difference. That's going to make a big yeah. difference. Yeah. I've never been able to train in my whole uh, adult life without having to do an army PT test or, uh, you know, when I was with the, uh, spending a good bit of time with the Ranger community, 
doing their five miler. Yeah, yeah. It's a different run yeah. than running two miles. Um, so it's going to be a totally different, uh, training experience. Definitely. It's going to be a different training experience for me when I finally get this shoulder and neck issue in place. Cause I, I have never had a powerlifting competition without being injured. Every time I've lifted, I've been injured. So I haven't mm. experienced that thing of having a, 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 a an injury free training cycle and then get yeah. on the platform and, and perform. Yeah. So I, yeah. I need that. I need, I, I need yeah, that experience. You, you, need that. you need that experience yeah. and you need that reassurance uh, to allow you to get more confidence to really exceed your potential. Absolutely. Yeah. It's definitely going to hinder you, you know, when you do take an injury during yeah. a middle training cycle, uh, it's just going to cause you to modify the program. You know, there's yeah. a lot of things that falls off of that. Yeah. Uh, that definitely doesn't allow you to continue to to follow it through tuition. I need to move to South Carolina for a training cycle. Can can I live with you for fourteen weeks? Yeah, man. <laughs> yeah, man. You need to come on down. I'm in the process right now. Me and my wife's been praying about it, but you know we're looking at some different property, and you know we okay. might end up at a performance center. You just you never know what what's in the in the store. Um, but if it ends up opening it up, you know I'm. Uh, I'm going to fit it with my Sorna Next equipment. That's the only one I use. You know, that's my favorite <laughs> stuff. They, they're a family, man. They take care of me. They've uh, they've, they've been my right-hand man since I started working with them in, back in 2014. And, that's uh, beautiful. That's that, beautiful. That's something I would like to be able to do. Um, and our goal is to be able to have, one, a center that's going to be able to target the tactical population. There's no facility. No. There's, there's no facility that somebody can go and train that says, you know, I, I want to be a Marine or I, I want to be a SEAL or I want to just be an uh, Army Airborne soldier. Yeah. You know what I mean? And they could come there and they could train tactical. And then I also want to have in that same organization inside that performance center is to allow people like Sornanex to modify some equipment so now special needs people could come in there and they work alongside the same other athletes and the same tactical oh, people. Oh, man, what a vision that is in the same venue so that there's not a curtain, there's not a separator, there's not a barrier. No. You know, we're all athletes and we all have an opportunity to train. That you know is I mean? a beautiful vision. That's a beautiful vision. And you would be so perfect for that. I mean, you, you at Tap C, there was what, you guys would have like 600, uh, 600 soldiers a day coming through there, yeah. right? Yep. So you know yep. how to, you know the logistics of it. To just oh, transfer yeah. that to a civilian environment would mm -hmm. probably be, a lot easier, you know. Oh yeah, that's gonna be a lot easier. You don't have a government because you train them. You can say you can't do this. You can't hire this person. You know, whatever. You know. Wow, man. That, but that's a beautiful vision. I'm gonna definitely come to South Carolina and visit you if you ever get that up and running. Yeah. So we're we're looking. We're praying about it. And like I said, if the door door opens, you know, we're gonna we're gonna start to uh, you know put some equipment in it and start seeing if we can get after those populations. Wow. Listen, Donnie. Let's let's wrap this up. Um, I need to go hug my kids before they go to bed. Yep. Need to go tease my wife and try out some new stand-up material on her, but yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, we didn't get down into the details. I had so many. I, I usually don't have a list, but I had a list of questions I was going to ask you here, and I didn't even get to one tenth of them. So we're going to have to do this again because I wanted to talk about a lot, a lot of the details at Tap C and 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 you know specifics as far yeah. as your 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 experiences and your challenges and your successes there. But we're going to get to that the next time because I I I spent a lot of time just talking about the things we have in common and, and, and talking about our friendship, talking about our brotherhood, our brotherhood, spirituality as Christians and our brotherhood as, as powerlifters and our brotherhood as Marines. And, uh, and again, uh, just to rehash, I want to thank you for talking about 
um, how you fight and are conquering uh, uh, issues with trauma that you have because a lot of people aren't willing to do that. Uh, a lot of people try and fail, and it looks like you're succeeding. You've got your life going the way it should. You you know you're you're making things happen, and I hope people can get some positivity and get some motivation out of this conversation. I certainly did. I certainly Thank did. Thank you so much, John. It's been a pleasure uh, not only to speak with you, but hopefully you know your your audience will get some nuggets out of this. That they will they can, you know, maybe, maybe sit back and say, you know, there's something I've been wanting to do in life. And I've, I've essentially set it aside because of this obstacle or that obstacle. And they might can see that they can still surpass that. And that's why I use that analogy, you know, of becoming a strength coach for the army, uh, to be the first person to ever do it. If somebody would told me it couldn't be done, uh, I I wasn't going to listen to it. You know what I mean? Right. Well, it's all about mindset. It's all about mindset. And hopefully this conversation that you and I had will change the mindset of somebody out there or strengthen the mindset of somebody out there. Most definitely, brother. I look forward to the next conversation. We're going to have it soon. I love you to death, man. Uh, uh, I call you brother because that's exactly what you are. You're my brother. Thank you so much, brother. You take care, John. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye, everybody.